Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So the sermon text is on the back of your bulletin, our gospel lesson for today. Uh, this is not the lesson normally appointed for today, but we are doing a stewardship series now, and uh, so I've selected the lessons uh, independently of the lectionary, which I'm free to do. Uh, and uh, so Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13, we read, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, this is a bit of a, kind of a rebuke, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, this is so typical of Jesus. If you come to Jesus with a complaint about someone else, he will turn the tables on you and focus your attention back onto you and your need to repent, rather than your neighbor's need to repent. Now, the man in our gospel lesson asking the question, he, he may be suffering some form of injustice. He, he may be the younger son, and the older son would get the large, larger portion of the inheritance, and maybe it's not being divided up correctly, okay? But Jesus wants this man to know that he has a bigger problem than that. And so do you and I. Roman numeral one, the real problems that we face in life are not outside of us, it's not other people, but it's the person inside of you and me, the old Adam. That's our real problem. I mean, people outside of you, you you'll see them once in a while, but the old Adam is with you 24-7, tempting you away from the Lord disputing God's word, and so on. And this is why Jesus says in verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So point A, greed is an obsession to hoard things for oneself. To hoard for oneself. And in Colossians chapter 3, St. Paul just comes out and, and flat out says, greed equals idolatry. It is idolatry. Luther reinforces this, part B. He writes in this large catechism, who whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. So the need to acquire more and more, the, the perceived need to acquire more and more things is really an alternative means of salvation. It's works righteousness. Greed is a thinly disguised attempt to save oneself. Greed is not trust in God, it is trust in self. So point C, Possessions now are not intrinsically or inherently evil, but they are inherently dangerous. They're dangerous. Now, 
If you've been attending here for some time, you may be thinking, Pastor Armstrong, I'm trusting in Jesus for my eternal salvation, as the Bible tells me to. Even if I maybe am a little bit of a hoarder in this life, and Jesus would say, watch out. If you cannot trust God alone to lead you through this life, how can you trust God to lead you into the next? If, if you and I cannot trust God adequately concerning the life that we see, how can we trust him concerning that life that we yet cannot see? Just a question. Verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Notice the ground yielded the harvest, not the man. It's all gift. He thought to himself, what shall I do? It's almost like he doesn't have anyone else to talk to but himself. I have no place to store my crops. Notice how often he uses the personal pronoun or the possessive pronoun my, my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain stored up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, does any of this sound familiar? The average American home over the last 50 years has nearly tripled in size. And I pointed this out before, you just look at the homes south of 25th Street, and then you look at the homes north of 25th Street and how they've gotten bigger, right? I live in one of those bigger homes north of 25th Street. But then, then you go west of town, and the homes just balloon, okay? They're a whole lot bigger. And yet, we don't have sufficient space to store all of our stuff. For, for that reason, uh, one in 10 Americans have rented at least one storage cubicle. At least one. And the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate market is storage cubes. 25% of people who own a, who have a two-car garage cannot pull a car into it. 32% of those who have a two-car garage have room for only one car in it. Jesus is telling the parable not only to the man in our gospel lesson for today, he's telling it to all of us. Are you and I really much different than this guy? Now, I'm not saying that you're a hoarder. I'm not saying I'm a hoarder, I'm not sure. But I am saying that we as Americans have a lot more stuff than we know what to do with. That's an undeniable fact. I'm just talking facts here. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who will get what you've prepared? You know, life, the scripture reminds us again and again, Life depends on God, not on stuff. No amount of stuff brought you into this world, and no amount of stuff can prevent your leaving it. 
verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, the fool in our parable reminds me a little bit of the parable of the soils. It's in Luke chapter 8. And there's this seed that fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and they choked the plant, killed it. So it was unfruitful, you see. Now the seed, Jesus explains after the parable, he explained the seed is God's word. The soil is the human heart. And the thorns are the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of this life that choke the word, that choke the plant and make it unproductive. So like the fool, you and I are our own worst enemies. The heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah wrote. It, it, It will mislead you. It will convince you of a lie. Your heart will do that. Mine, mine does that all the time. For example, your heart will tell you that you don't have to repent today. You always have tomorrow. But you don't always have tomorrow. It's not true. Your heart will convince you that right now is not a good time to give. But in the future, that would be a better time. You know, after you get out of debt, then you'll give or after you get that raise or that promotion, then you'll give. Or after you win the lottery, which I hope you don't play, then you'll give, like, like no one else. I've heard people say this. I recall being a vicar in Washington, D.C., visiting an elderly woman. I've told the story before, but it bears repeating. Uh, the, the lottery was new back then. This was like in 1984. And I think Maryland or D.C., whichever, had just come out with a lottery, see. And, and this, this woman, this, this poor soul, was consumed with the lottery. She thought she was going to win it. And uh, she convinced herself. Her heart told her that. And so she made a list of things. And every time I visit her, she would talk to me about what she was going to do with the money once she won. It, it reminded me of the words of Meyer Lansky. He was the, the mobster who ran the gambling operations for the mafia throughout the country. And he asked a man one time, do you gamble? The man said, no. And Lansky said, good, you'll lose. That's the reality. Your heart may tell you something different, but the numbers say you'll lose, okay? The heart is deceitful. And this is why Roman numeral two, our salvation can never come from inside us. It must come from outside of us. And letter A, to be rich toward God is to believe that your real treasure is not down here, but it's up there. It's heavenly. Your real treasure is Jesus. And I cite Romans 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now that's good news for us, because you and I live lives that are haunted by fear. We are haunted by fear. Fear of what others think of us. Fear of what others might say about us. Fear of judgment, the judgment of others. And we spend a lot of time and energy defending ourselves and justifying what we have said and what we've done. So we won't be condemned. 
St. Paul writes, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through his death and through his resurrection on our behalf, he not only declares us not guilty, he declares us righteous. Now, it doesn't look like that today. The righteousness that it is what we believe in. We believe in our righteousness. The righteousness of Christ credited to us through faith in him. We receive it in our baptism. It doesn't yet appear what we are. But someday when our Lord returns, he will publicly declare your righteousness before all the people who have condemned you and criticized you and spoken evil about you. And you'll be vindicated before the eyes of all. In the face of everyone who condemned you in this life, he will justify you publicly, even as he justifies you today through the words of the called minister in the absolution. Someday it'll be public and, and placarded everywhere about you. And it's not because we were without sin here, it's because we trusted in him here. And the only question that will matter for all eternity is not what did he do in college or what did he do in high school? The only question that will matter is this, what did he think of Jesus? What did he think of Christ? Do you believe in who he is and what he's done for you? N nothing else that you ever said here or done here will really matter in eternity. The only thing that will matter is this, that you were his, that you belong to him. Therefore, he is your everything. He is your treasure. Let her be, if heaven truly is our destination, and it is as we journey through life, heaven is our destination, then we prove that by making our deposits there. We prove this by investing there. Your money will be wherever your heart is. Your money follows your heart. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break through and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and no thief breaks in to steal. You will put your money wherever your heart is. Your heart's somewhere, so is mine. The money follows. Let her see. To give to the needy, and this is a quote from someone, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't find a, who the author of this was, but it's a quote, and I liked it. To give to the needy is to lay a gift on the altar of God. You know, as we say, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor may. It's to lay a gift on the altar of God. So there is this organization, it's a nonprofit in the Washington, D.C. area. You know, I, I can recall living in D.C. and working in Bethesda, Maryland, um, and I was amazed. This is back in the mid-80s when I was a vicar, and I was just amazed at the money that was there. It was just incredible, the money. And the top 5% of the people in the greater D.C. area make at least a half a million dollars a year. The bottom 5% makes about ten to 12,000 a year. 
And so a professor from, from the American University began uh, a nonprofit organization called a Wider Circle. And it provides furnishings for homes. And every year, they furnish about 4,000 homes in the DC, Maryland, Northern Virginia uh, area uh, for impoverished families. And the families they serve earn about 12,000 a year for a family of four. And most of these people live without beds. They live without tables and chairs. And I learned by going to the website that the real marker for poverty in America is a bed. I mean, food's not hard to come by. Clothing is relatively easy to get. But a good bed, that's rare, okay? That makes the difference. It, it helps to, I, to delineate who is impoverished and who is not. Meanwhile, there's a whole host of people who have an excess of tables and chairs and sheets and towels and, and, and beds and so on. And so a, a wider circle goes to those individuals who have an excess and it, they, they take the donations to the people who have a lack of those same things. Dr. Mark Burgell is the founder of, the, of the, a wider circle and this is what he said. He said, and I quote, stuff is much more than just stuff. It touches our emotional and our spiritual states. When we transfer things from one family to another, it changes the families who receive the stuff and it changes the families who give the stuff. And I saw a video clip of a woman uh, in the DC area who was downsizing and she was donating some of her furniture. Not all of it, but some of it. And one of the pieces, well, I'll just quote her. She said, one of the pieces that we will be donating is our family dining room table, plus eight chairs and the sideboard. Okay, now, I, I saw this dining room table. It was like at least eight feet long. It was beautiful hardwood. And these eight chairs that went around it were nice ladder back chairs with wicker seats, looked like new. Uh, but her family had grown up around this table. And it was beautiful. And, and I thought, you know, they celebrated birthdays and holidays and anniversaries around the table. And I thought, how could she let that go? How could she do that? I mean, in my way of thinking, the memories you have of something or someone are bound up in that thing. So to, to let it go is a tremendous sacrifice if you even can do it. And this is what she said. She said, quote, it's just a piece of furniture in the end. And here's the kicker. This is what struck me. She said, it's the memories and the love and the relationships that have been celebrated around it that you take with you. The pieces of furniture can be passed on. And I thought, she's right. The memories and the relationships formed around the table, don't go with the table. I take them with me. They're not located in the table. They're located in me. They go where I go. 
And, and I may not need the table anymore, but someone else might. And when I let it go, I do so so that it can form new memories for another family. And in letting it go, I'm laying it upon the altar of God, and I'm making a deposit, not only in a family today, but I'm making a deposit in the life that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen.